0: Welcome to the Divorce Tribe Podcast. My name is Luke Mydell, and I created this weekly podcast to provide support and healing as you navigate the daily trials that accompany divorce. I have been where you are, I have walked that lonely road, and I'm hoping to share what I have learned and what I am still learning through others. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Welcome to Episode 3, I'll Choose No Sleep for $1,000, Alex. If you didn't get it from the episode title, this week we will be discussing how the heck you get any sleep as you go through divorce. My goal this episode is to help you get your dang eyes closed, to give your mind a break, to find some semblance of rest and sleep, because at the early stages of divorce, that can seem impossible. And like everything, it changes as time goes on. What works during the initial phases of divorce might not be the best thing to do as you start healing and ultimately becoming a better person. This was a good week. I went camping with my family, with my kids. I got a lot of good sleep, a lot of good exercise. And uh, it's been two years since my divorce, a little over two years. And so I have found... Peace. I've found an ability to sleep, but it wasn't always like that. But before we delve into that main topic of sleep, it's time for story time, where I discuss the current book I'm reading and hopefully how it applies to today's episode. So, as you've been following along, I've been reading Rachel Cusk's autobiography on her divorce. It's not like a typical autobiography talking through events in a periodical order. I'd more aptly describe it as ruminations on her divorce. And I've actually finished the book, but as certain topics come up each week, I may refer back to elements of her story. For example, this week we are talking about sleeplessness in divorce. And this seems to be a universal truth of divorce. It makes sleep very difficult, if not impossible for some people. Rachel Cusk describes it in her book Aftermath. Quote, I stay in my room, fencing with the long nights. I can no longer sleep. I'm too frightened of dreaming and of waking from my dreams. I'm frightened of my house. I'm frightened of my own bed. End quote. Now, this next part is important because it shows what a good friend can do. What someone from your divorce tribe can provide. Quote, I meet my oldest friend Jay for a drink. The children are with their father. I have begun to think that in these periods alone I ought to socialize. I see it as a kind of duty arising out of a vast and possibly terminal neglect, for I have no sense of a future. When I go out to see my friends it is in the service of an illusion. I am trying to pretend that nothing has happened, that nothing has changed, like the orchestra still playing while the Titanic sinks but it's a bad day. The day on which I meet Jay. Things are difficult. It's hard to talk about anything else. I can talk to Jay without anxiety. She knows my life, and I know hers. Our talk is the talk of episodes. The story itself never needs to be explained. All the same, I feel guilty. The drama of my life dominates, uses up the fuel of conversation like an ugly army tank guzzling petrol. This is not equality. I'm sorry, I say, I'm sorry, I'm just so tired. I admit to Jay that I find it almost intolerable when the children are away. I admit that the night before I lay awake until it was light again and I could get up. I admit that I often spend these vigils in tears. Jay leans across the table, grips my hand. Don't ever do that again, she says. Call me. I don't care what time of night it is, but don't ever cry on your own again. Call me instead. Quote. A good friend, a strong support system, can be the difference between slowly dwindling and decaying versus being able to heal, albeit slowly, with the help of others. I felt the same way when my ex moved out of the house and my kids started spending a couple nights a week away from the house. I would go from a house filled with their laughter and their whining, all that noise, to a house with empty rooms and unused nightlights. And in the beginning, it was hard for me to get any sleep with that ominous feeling of being alone. Now, I view my divorce in segments like acts of a play. Only this play has three acts. I like to call it The Betrayal as Act 1, The Unfounded Hope as Act 2, and The Final Death as Act 3. It's almost like Episodes 4, 5, and 6 of Star Wars. Each act plays out one year of the final three years of my marriage. But the first act was when I discovered that sleep was a concept, not a requirement, that the human mind could decide, eh, you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to instead dwell on each minute detail. I want to torture you until that tightness in your chest and your gut explodes. The first night my wife and I talked, we had been on a scavenger hunt in Salt Lake City with our kids. We were dressed in outfits. Me as William Wallace from Braveheart. My wife as Astrid from How to Train Your Dragon. And then the details get fuzzy after that. I remember the night going well. We were finding clues and winning free tickets to what was formerly known as Salt Lake Comic Con. And I was happy. I was excited. After we did the scavenger hunt, we went home, and I had my wife take a video of me about one hour before my world imploded. In this video, I was giving a speech as William Wallace advertising our extended family's Highland Games. We do it semi annually. Everything changed when my wife had me come downstairs away from the kids to talk. I won't go into details, but that was the start of Act 1, The Betrayal. And that first night, I cried. I cried like a baby. I cried worse than a baby. I sat on the couch upstairs, and I bawled. And then I would periodically go downstairs where my wife was sleeping on the upper bunk of our guest room. And I would ask her questions, uh, why, how, you know, anything. And then I would go back upstairs, tears just streaming down my face. I eventually left that night. I didn't drive away. I didn't take my belongings. It was a warm summer night, so I just started wandering the streets aimlessly. Tears falling, mind racing, uncomprehending what I was experiencing. I have vivid flashes of memory from that night, and then blank spaces, like my mind was trying to protect me, yet it was unable to fathom or comprehend what was fa- what was happening. I walked all night. I arrived at my parents' house at about 5 a.m., and I walked upstairs, and I just laid down on their couch, and I crashed. And I actually slept. But it wasn't a good sleep. It was full of nightmares, and I kept my face face smashed into the couch cushions, fearing my parents would see me and know instantly something was wrong. I didn't want them to know that something was wrong. The night before, I had called an ecclesiastical leader who advised me not to talk to any family, not to make any decisions, and it was wise advice if you're trying to save your marriage, because you don't want your family to turn against the person you love if you try to make it work. I woke up a few hours later, and I acted like I had just been on a morning jog and had zonked out on the couch. And then I left again, and I walked, and I walked. I walked past a park, past families playing and laughing, past a church group having a water balloon fight. Fast forward to that night where I found myself alone in my house with my two kids through no choice of my own. What went on between me getting home and that night is a different story. But that night, I had put my kids to bed, and I didn't sleep at all. I held a small bonfire on the side of my yard, burning mementos, clothing. I didn't give a crap. I didn't give a crap that it reeked, that the entire neighborhood smelled like burning plastic, burning nylon. The next night was the same. I didn't sleep at all. I continued my rampage through memories, and I felt like I was deteriorating, slowly dying, like the memories I was burning were slowly turning my sanity to ash and my clarity to smoke. When I tried closing my eyes, images would instantly flash through my mind, frightening images, and my eyes would fly open, never wanting to close again. And when exhaustion forced sleep upon me, nightmares would take over instantly, and once again they would force me awake, less than a minute into my sleep. So on the third night, after going through this, I decided to turn on Netflix. And I turned on Shrek the Musical, and I closed my eyes while listening to the singing and the story, and for some strange, bizarre reason, my mind focused on the show and I fell asleep for a couple hours. A couple hours later, I instantly woke up when it ended, and I restarted it. It wasn't great sleep because my mind would instantly wake up once the distraction was gone, so it was at least aware of the background sound and what was happening, but it was sleep in small increments. Every two hours, the show would end, and every two hours, I would restart it. I probably played through it four or five times that night. And the next night, I turned on The Office. I would play until the, are you still watching? Netflix box would appear. My mind would instantly activate. The nightmares would instantly start up again. And I would say, Ugh, heck yes, I'm still watching. My hand was already holding the remote control. This was the only way I was able to get any sleep that first week. I couldn't sleep in my bed. I could barely even go into my bedroom except to grab clothes. And then I would prop myself up on the couch, start Netflix, and my mind would stop working so much. It would stop dwelling on every feeling of grief and pain. And it was worth it. At this early stage of my divorce... Any sleep was a godsend. And that sleeplessness changes over time, just as the grief and pain changes over time. And each person needs to find the method that works for them. And that method won't always be the one that you should follow from then on. Some people get prescription sleep pills like Ambien. But you don't want to become dependent on those for sleep unless you actually have a sleep disorder where you need them. Others try ZQL or melatonin. The only way I could sleep early on was by watching Netflix. Always something I had watched before and didn't have to focus on, and my mind would let me relax for a moment. At that point, it was more than sleep I was seeking. I was seeking sleep without nightmares. I was seeking, I guess, a mind-numbing agent. Uh... That's what I would call it. Zequel probably would have put me to sleep, and Ambien certainly would have put me to sleep, but they don't necessarily stop your mind from working. And so I kept the TV on to go to sleep. Now, eventually, the sleep does come. It comes easier, and the nightmares are less frequent. But it was still common for me to wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom. And the second my mind was awake... It decided, you know what, I think you've had enough sleep for the night. At least until 30 minutes before I had to get up in the morning. Now, falling asleep to the TV isn't a great long-term solution. And after some therapy and some healing, I realized that I needed to find other ways to sleep that were more healthy and more natural. I would still go to sleep with the TV on sometimes, but it was more by habit and because I had started watching TV in bed. I know, very bad move, very bad habit, um, but it was the only way I could get any sleep. Now, Zequal actually started working for those nights when I wanted to just lie down and go to sleep for 7 to 8 hours. Meldatonin, on the other hand, has never worked great. For me, it's like a sleep aid that gets me to sleep, but then it wakes me back up again at 3 a.m. So we'll be talking about how to fall asleep and how to stay asleep. Act 1 and 3 of my divorce, I had to use the TV to get any sleep. But during Act 2 of my divorce, I was able to get some sleep because during that period of time, I had some hope that my marriage would be saved. When Act 3 came along and destroyed that hope, I reverted back to watching TV at night to help me get sleep. But as I've gone through the divorce process, and the healing process, I have found other things that have helped me as the nightmares lessened, and I regained some control. Let's start with falling asleep and staying asleep. Number one is a no-brainer. Don't drink coffee or caffeinated soda right before bed. Don't stuff yourself with chocolate or Swedish fish or whatever sugar or junk food you can scrounge up at the back of your cupboard until you get heartburn when you lie down. Give your body a fighting chance to get to sleep and stay asleep. If we stuff ourselves with sugar and caffeine, we're basically helping our body not to sleep, when all you want to do is get some sleep without the nightmares. I had a habit of drinking a Dr. Pepper or a Diet Coke before bed, and before I was getting a divorce, it didn't really impact my ability to get to sleep. But combined with everything that was going on in my mind, that extra caffeine boost made it impossible to get to sleep, even if I did have the TV on. So I had to give up that habit, at least until I was able to get to a place where I was healed enough. And even then, I only imbibe when I'm feeling in particular need of a tasty Dr. Pepper or a tasty Diet Coke. So put down the coffee, put down the soda, give your body a fighting chance to actually get to sleep. So, on to number two. Actually lay down, turn off your light, turn off the phone and the television, at least if you're not using my early approach to sleeplessness. Give your mind a break from screens and that blue light. The blue light from your screens actually suppresses your melatonin secretion and can impact your circadian rhythm. This was once again a discovery of Harvard researchers who found that out by exposing people to blue light and green light and then measuring their melatonin secretion and their circadian rhythms. And that makes complete sense. If you look at Alaskans, they have a harder time with this than most people in the United States because of their never-ending daylight. I recently saw a video on Instagram of a group of people leaving a bar at midnight and it looked like it was only 6 or 7 in the evening with the sun just below the horizon. That would mess up your mind so much. So turn off the phone, or only keep it on to play an audiobook or some music while you close your eyes. We tend to get in these ruts where we just swipe through social media or YouTube, not even thinking about the passing time, letting our minds go numb until 2-3 to hours have passed, and we're no closer to sleep than we were 3 hours before. So choose a time that is early to lay down and unwind. Maybe it's right after you put your kids to bed. I put my kids down at 8 o'clock and usually takes my daughter until at least 9.30 to unwind and finally fall asleep. Sometimes it helps to treat your children's bedtime as your own bedtime. So hop in bed early, pick up your phone, and turn it off and pick up a book. Preferably not a John Grisham novel or an intense thriller. Pick up something that will slow you down. Something that will allow your mind to slowly ease itself to sleep. If you're going to sleep at midnight or beyond each night, you're more likely to be sleep-deprived. So lay down and close your eyes. Now, some of you may have difficulty even closing your eyes during the divorce process because of whatever is going on in your mind at the time. At least I did. So if that's the case for you, find something auditory that will keep your mind from focusing on other things. Our minds go weird places in a divorce, like imagining what your ex was doing with his new girlfriend or new boyfriend, or what they did that actually led to a divorce. Or wondering how you're going to provide for your kids and make sure they stay healthy and happy through all of this. Some of the most helpful things that I found after my divorce that helped me to sleep were meditation and body scan recordings. I think I mentioned it last week, but I took a mindfulness-based stress reduction class through Zoom. On the first night of the class, the instructor had us set our phones down so we could only hear what he was saying And then he guided us through a 30-minute body scan. For those of you who don't know what that is, you lie down in your bed, and then you follow along as the person or the recording guides you through a body scan meditation. You do this by focusing on your breath, the rise and fall of your chest. And then once you have focused on your breath, you start to focus on the sensations in, say, your big toe as your eyes are closed. As the body scan progresses, it guides you through a scan of each part of your body. These scans can last anywhere from a quick 5-10 to minute body scan to a body scan that lasts almost an hour. And I'm sure they can last much longer, but that's the longest one I've done. As your mind focuses on the sensations and feelings in your toes, your feet, your ankles, your calves, and up and back down your body, it becomes much easier for your mind to relax and focus on something other than whatever is stressing you out at the moment. Now you can do this on your own, but I found a guided meditation much more helpful because your mind tends to wander and it takes a lot of practice to focus the mind on the body scan. With a guided meditation, the guide often reminds you kindly that if you find your mind wandering, kindly guide it back to the body scan without judgment. This first class where we ran through the body scan, I completely zonked out after 15 minutes or so. I didn't even remember falling asleep. But after the guided meditation, I realized, wow, that was so restful and completely unexpected. Now, these aren't always meant to help you fall asleep. They're meant as a tool to help reduce stress, to become more attuned to what your body is feeling. But for the first time since my divorce, I was able to turn on a 50-minute body scan each night and fall asleep. And what I found was that my sleep was more restful and less prone to more wakeful moments. And my mind was able to focus less on those nightmares and those memories and more on being at peace. Now the body scan meditations were helpful to me a couple years after my divorce to change my mindset surrounding sleep, but in my same class was another gentleman that was going through a divorce at the same time as the class, and he also found these body scans and new meditations helpful in dealing with the early stages of divorce that he was in, the early acts of his divorce story. I was able to download some of these body scan meditations as part of the class, but you can also find them online on YouTube or just by googling body scan meditations. Find the ones that are most helpful, and you can even watch instructional videos on how to perform a body scan. So we've gone through methods to help you get to sleep. Now, once we're asleep, how do we stay asleep once we've figured out how to get to sleep? Well, I already talked about what I did. I just pushed the continue watching button and then I closed my eyes for another couple hours. But eventually the TV becomes a crutch, a bad habit that I needed to get rid of. So I had to think of alternate ways to avoid waking up in the middle of the night. The first thing I had to do was stop drinking water 30 to 60 minutes before bedtime. If I didn't, I would wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom and I couldn't get back to sleep. I mean, with my small bladder, even that doesn't ensure success, but it did help stave off that need, at least until the morning, in most cases. For some, waking up in the middle of the night to use the restroom is a foregone conclusion. I dated a girl who needed sleep aids, but even with them she was cursed with interstitial cystitis, which basically meant that in a typical night she needed to get up three to four nights every night. For her, her only way to get any sleep was to take a prescribed Ambien. It didn't prevent the nightly wake-ups, but it did help her get to sleep and help her get back to sleep when she did have to wake up in the middle of the night. Another thing you can do, and this might seem counterintuitive, is to get out of bed. If you're laying in bed with a racing mind that can think of nothing except how little sleep you're getting and how tired you're going to be in the morning... It may just increase your anxiety and your insomnia. If you're laying in bed for a half hour or more, get up, leave the bedroom, pick up a book in the living room, listen to some calming music or a podcast on the couch. One note on listening to podcasts, don't listen to unsolved crime or murder mysteries or supernatural podcasts late at night. That for sure won't help you with your sleep. It didn't help with my sleep when I was married, and it certainly doesn't help now that I'm divorced. Same goes with Netflix series, Catching a Murderer, whatever they're called. Do something else rather than sit in bed and worry about not sleeping. One thing that has helped me also is using a white noise machine. I have one that just plays static, or I can change it to waves or nighttime cricket sounds, and this can help my mind settle especially if it brings me to, as Happy Gilmore would call it, my happy place. One of my happy places is on the Oregon coast. My family took many road trips there over the years, and it's where we took our kids on the final vacation we had before our divorce. Listening to waves at night reminds me of those moments on the coast, listening to waves crash against the rocks. My mind associates those sounds with the smell of a salty sea breeze and spending time with my feet in the water and my toes curled in the sand. When I listen to the night sounds of crickets chirping, it reminds me of camping, looking up at the stars as I lay in my sleeping bag and feeling at peace. Even if you're at home with your kids gone for the night, you can mentally put yourself in a better environment. Now, there are many other things that can help with your sleep, such as other types of meditations or by practicing laying down yoga. But one of the things that has helped me most has been time. And you'll hear this time and time again. You need time to heal. You need time for your mind to get over the pain and the grief and the worry of your divorce. You need time to stop thinking about those things that are just constantly on your mind. And while it may feel like that will never happen, it does get easier as time goes on. So, keep writing in your divorce journal, keep sharing your concerns with your divorce tribe, and realize that while you may feel like sleep is impossible now, it will come with time. As you write in your divorce journal, you can look back and say, Wow, a year ago, I thought that I would never sleep again. And now I'm getting at least four hours of sleep at night. That's a great, great benefit. (laughs) So to summarize once again, sometimes at the beginning of a divorce... The only thing that can help you to close your eyes and get any bit of sleep is to try sleeping while being watched over by a close friend or family member like I did my first night on my parents' couch. But eventually you'll have to find out ways to sleep on your own. Some of those ways may be less healthy than others. I admit, having the TV on all night long, that wasn't healthy. But if I consider the alternative, it was a great idea. The alternative was no sleep at all. And I needed to sleep. I needed to be able to at least function at 50% capacity when I had to work and take care of my kids the next day. As time passes and you start healing, you can start using the more healthy tips I mentioned. Don't drink caffeinated drinks. Don't binge on sweets or junk food before bed. And get rid of screens in your bedroom. Try getting to bed early, and if you can't focus your mind, try using guided body scan meditations, listen to podcasts, or use a white noise machine. But most of all, give yourself time, because that's what will help most of all. I know it's cliche, and you may feel like this will never get any better. So once again, write it down in your journal. Write it down so you can look back and you can see how far you've gone and the progress you've made in your life. Hopefully, I've given you a few ideas that will help you find that elusive sleep. It's almost like being a new parent, only you don't get the added benefit of having a beautiful new soul to take care of. Instead, it can feel like a part of your soul is missing. And many times that's true because your kids may not always be there. Now, next week, we'll be talking about family. The good the bad and the ugly. I'll be talking about how involving family in the divorce can be both a positive and a negative experience. And hopefully it will give you a good idea of how to handle communication with family both before the divorce and then as you go through the divorce. Thank you for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please like and subscribe. Leave a review and share it with others who could use support and healing. Visit TheDivorceTribe.com for more resources to help you through your divorce. And follow me at The Divorce Tribe on Instagram to be notified when new episodes and content are released. Remember, you are not alone. We are part of the same tribe, The Divorce Tribe. Until next time.